0: Welcome to One Cause Church. We hope you enjoy this inspirational message. Well, once again, I'm honored to be here. I love coming out here. It's just fun, and it feels like family. I go to churches where it just feels like church, and uh, those those suck. Uh, I, I like to go to churches where it feels like family. And uh, where everybody, uh, you fight like family and you love each other like family. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, not only that, I feel like I'm a family, not because of just this church, but I know how many of you have gone to YFN? How many have ever been to YFN? Wow. So, I mean, I'm amongst good people, obviously, and, and it doesn't get much better than meeting people like Pastor Nathan. Come on, do you love your leader, Pastor Nathan, who's doing such a great job up here? So proud of you. Incredibly proud of you. And who doesn't love uh, pastors Eric and Heather. Come on, do you love love them? You kind of have to, yeah, uh, but I, I, I tell you what, I feel like if you don't at least love Heather, you're not going to heaven. Like, that's the way it works. Uh, I was just telling her, I was like, you remind me of my senior pastor's wife when I was a youth pastor, because uh, they both are just so genuine and pure-hearted, and uh, I just love and appreciate their leadership here, and, and given, listen, not many churches will let you have A thing just like this, Why We Thrive Conference. Because they don't see a value in it. But I'm thankful for leadership in a church that says we're not, we're not just going to pour money into missions. We're not just going to put it into buildings. But we're going to put it back into young people and give them the opportunity to have their own weekend to encounter God and get refreshed to go and end the year right. Are you with me? And so I truly appreciate that. Uh, uh, but I realize how many of you, this is the first time we've met, that we've seen each other, that kind of thing. No? Okay, I am pretty much know everybody in the room. So I, I, I just, I do that because I want to make sure, that, you know, where everybody knows where I'm coming from. I, I'm originally from El Paso Texas. Texas. And uh, and so anybody from El Paso or know where El Paso's at? Anybody? Okay, yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I love my city. I really do. I die for my city. But it is one big ghetto, uh, with certain with with two or three neighborhoods that are okay. They're they're mediocre, okay. And uh, and so but I I love it and and uh, being in those kind of environments that I was in very poor. Uh, hoodish, ghetto lifestyle. I, I remember uh, we th- there were times when we didn't have food for mo- uh, money uh, and did to buy food. We couldn't keep the light bill on. I remember being cold during the winters and all kinds of stuff. But I loved to play basketball, and I went to this church, and eventually I found myself at summer camp, which was Youth for the Nations. This was back in 1999. And I remember on the Monday night of camp, I gave my life to the Lord. He called me in the ministry, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Come on, that's a big night. From then on, I would do several different things from being a missionary to a business owner to a youth pastor. And today, I get to direct the camp that I got saved at. Is that not cool or what? And I feel like that's just a kiss on the cheek from the Lord that he would give us something like that, my wife and I. I, I wish she was here and she would be here tonight, but even uh, yesterday, my birthday is on Tuesday and so we celebrated last night and uh, my niece was also born on the same day I was and so we were at her birthday party and I don't know what the heck they were putting in that food, but uh, my wife was sick this morning. She couldn't even show up to church and uh, and I think one or two of my kids may not have been feeling well and so, uh, uh, but I tell you what, I feel like the Holy Spirit's in this place and that's enough for me right as long as he's here that's all that matters are you with me and so listen I don't want you to go quiet on me did you enjoy Friday night come on did God touch your life Friday night and how about yesterday afternoon with Micah come on did you love that and then did you enjoy Pastor Jeremy Donovan come on I I love Pastor Jeremy he's like a brother to me but I'm telling you I feel like God has something special for tonight and that's going to determine listen you you get to determine what you get out of tonight your expectation yeah, I said it this morning, I'll say it again. If you expect nothing, that's exactly what you're going to get. But if you expect to hear from God and receive something, and what I mean by receive is just hearing words that are going to sit on your heart and cause you to think and rethink life and rethink where you're at and start to give yourself more over to the Lord, I promise you that's exactly what you've been needing. Come on, how many agree with that? But don't, listen, don't go quiet on me tonight, all right? If you go quiet, you're going to see this Mexican with a mic get real insecure, and I'll throw it at somebody, all right? So I'm barely saved. But I, I, I really need, I need some people tonight to get excited. How many know the word of God deserves a response, right? And, and I don't care if you say come on somebody or come on or whatever. Uh, I just need you to talk back to me tonight. Can you do that? Somebody say yes. yes. Come on, say it again. Say yes. yes. All right, all right. Uh, if you brought your Bible, turn it on and go to Judges twenty. I know exactly. Come on, turn it on. Judges chapter 20. And, and for the sake of time, by Deuteronomy chapter 3, we're going to kind of, uh, I'll quote a, a few more scriptures, but that's really going to be where we're uh, eating from tonight. Deuteron- Deuteronomy chapter 3, but we're going to begin in Judges 20. And let me kind of set up the story here, all right? There are 12 tribes that make up the nation of Israel. And men from the tribe of Benjamin go and do a wicked thing to a man from the tribe of the Levites. And so this man from the tribe of the Levites gets so upset this was such a wicked thing that he gathers the 11 leather tribe without Benjamin and he says I demand a military response against this one tribe so the 11 leather tribes they gather 400,000 men well this one tribe, the tribe of Benjamin gathers 26,000 men alright now let me, let me put this into perspective Okay, a lot versus a little Alright, so you know that this shouldn't even be a battle. This would be like playing Call of Duty, and you're going up against the best clan. You know what I'm talking about? Like, that, it, it, we, come on, I don't know how many clans we have in here, but you probably, and there's somebody in here. But I, 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 you understand what I'm telling you? This, is, this should be an easy battle. This, should, this shouldn't even be 15 minutes worth of fighting because they have numbers on their side. And so they go into this battle, and now watch this. Judges 20, in verse 18, it says, The Israelites went up to Bethel and inquired of God. They said, who of us is to go up first to fight against the Benjamites? The Lord replied, Judah shall go first. The next morning, the Israelites got up and pitched camp near Gibeah. The Israelites went out to fight the Benjamites and took battle positions against them at Gibeah. Verse 21, the Benjamites came out of Gibeah and cut down 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. How many you know this, this is a bad day? You're supposed to win. Because you've got numbers, you've got size, you've got, you, can, you can take them out easily. How, how many of you have ever had the Lord tell you to do something? Raise your hand. He's I told you to pray for somebody, go up and encourage somebody. Come on, keep your hands up. Who am I talking to? How many of you had the Lord tell you to do something? All right. How many of you went and did it and you failed? Come on, the rest of your line. Come on, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've had these moments. This, see, this, this is a moment where this is a battle the Lord sends these, these people into. He doesn't just say go. He even chooses their battle formation and says put Judah first. He sends them into and they lose. Have you ever had a promise that was so real to you that you lost? Have you ever had a moment that you knew God was going to move and it didn't happen? That's a good place for discouragement to send in. Are you with me? Come on, let's pray tonight. Holy Spirit, I ask for wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm asking that you rest your presence on us, Lord. It wouldn't it wouldn't offend me one bit if you interrupted our service tonight. It wouldn't offend me one bit if one person left this place thinking about how you, how much you have done for them that they don't remember the worship songs and they don't remember the lights and they don't remember the games and they don't remember the speaker. It wouldn't offend me one bit because tonight we have gathered because we are coming to thrive together because of what you have done and what you are actively doing and what you are going to do, Father. And I thank you that this generation is ready to be armed and dangerous, to be sent out to be dangerous for good. And I break limits and restrictions that hold them back. I break religious devils that come and try to tell them, don't be too Loud. Don't come off too strong. Don't try and be that forceful. Father, I thank you that you are raising up a loud generation, a voiceful generation, one that's going to walk in power. They're going to be sent out to Africa and they're going to he- they're going to be handing out rice in one hand and healing aids in the other, God. I thank you that they're not going to settle for just therapy and prescriptions and hospitals, but the supernatural raw power of God Almighty will be running through their life on their campuses, in their families, in the malls, at their jobs. God, I thank you that you are raising up a generation that doesn't have a wishbone, but it's got a backbone, and they've got some teeth to their bite. God, I thank you that they're not going to be passive anymore. They're not going to be casual with their call anymore. Lord, they're not going to resist the will of God anymore, but they're going to be so yielded and so surrendered. Father, I pray if you would give us a generation like that, then we can change the city of McKinney, we can change the state of Texas, and we can shake nations all over the earth. God, give us this kind of group in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 I'm calling this message "Releasing Revivalists." Releasing revivalists. You probably heard that term. Maybe you've been in church long enough. You probably heard the term revival, and and I feel like it's a buzzword because a lot of people, oh, we're having revival, or revival broke out, or man, that's revival. Uh, I I don't believe that revival is more conferences, services, meetings, and gatherings. Those are all good because they have their place. You know, they put us on the same page. They give us a a, a similar passion. They focus us. They have their place. But that's not revival. In fact, I I don't burn, again, for, for more conferences and services. What I burn for is sustained revival where it doesn't leave. Where you can go to YFN and two weeks later, you're burning hotter than you were at YFN instead of losing it. Are you with me? Where you're still worshiping like you lost your mind because Jesus loved you enough to save you from your sins and yourself. And you get back here and three months later, you are still worshiping and out worshiping yourself when you were at YFN. Are you with me? That's the kind of sustained passion, sustained devotion. You do realize there's no part-time devotion in the kingdom. Are you following me? There's no punching a clock. There's no when I feel like it. It's either you're all in or all out. You know, I loved our young people and I love our interns today and even the students I have because I tell them, listen, don't tell me you're serious about reaching your generation and you won't fast. Don't tell me you're serious about reaching your generation and you're not taking attempts to try to heal the sick and try to prophesy to friends and try to encourage and and set a strong example because the truth is what you're serious about is impressing your church friends and not necessarily the people at your school. That I'm preaching better than some of you saying amen tonight. Either you're under heavy conviction or you understand what I'm telling you. I feel like what revival is, is it is a lifestyle. It is not moments. It is not things. It's a lifestyle. You just walk from one encounter to the next encounter. That's why we thrive. We don't thrive because we're one-hit wonders and we have sugar rushes with the Holy Spirit and we're flashes in the pan. We, we thrive because no matter where I'm at, no matter what the obstacle is, I have access to a raw power called Jesus. Are you with me? And let me tell you what revivalists are. Revivalists is very simple. They're willing to do whatever, whenever, however, when God tells them to. That's what a revivalist is. Whatever, whenever, however. That's what we did. And in our youth ministry, we had a lot of students that would come around And once they would get in our culture and they start coming, they understood we were more than just a youth service. We were more than just small groups, another day of the week. We were more than just a church. We were a movement. We were taking over. We were believing God for the impossible. And people called us crazy until it started happening. Our students, uh, uh, they, they, were, they, they had a shift in their thinking. Our, our students, they would set up. Uh, I said this this morning. They would set up uh, 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 a sign at a table at this yogurt shop right there in South Lake Town Square, and they'd go to this uh, like a Yummy Berry or something like that, or Yummy Licious, and they would set set a table, up, and it would say Dream Interpretations and Free Readings. And there would be a line out the door while people were eating their yogurt waiting to come and hear the voice of God. Because we, I'm talking about 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 15-year-olds were prophesying to adults and healing their marriages and watching God move on. And they were casting demons out in a yogurt shop. People told me, I had one, I had a pastor's wife one time tell me, do you really want this generation to live holy? Like, is that, a, is that even a good goal? I'm like, are you, are you serious? Please, please make sure I don't go to your church. Tell me your church name. Because I'm not interested in setting low-level, mediocre, average bars for this generation. I want you to rise to something. I want you to provoke the person next to you to say, I either believe it or I don't. And it's interesting because, come on, in McKinney, it's just like Dallas. Everybody's saved. Don't look at me like that. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I love Jesus, but I just don't serve him. I love Jesus, but I don't look like him. I love Jesus, but I go to church on Easter. Are you following me? we got to have more than that. And that's what it means to me to release revivalists, is for you to carry something and you didn't have the worship band take you into the presence, for you to carry something and you didn't need the rights. Listen, you didn't come here to sing spiritual karaoke. You came here because you wanted an encounter with God. You didn't come here because I'm here. Please don't come because I'm here, because I'm going to let you down. <laughs> I mean, I'm good looking and stuff, but I'll tell you, that that's, a big, that's as good as it gets. I try, to, I try to protect the hotness, you know, as much as I can with my T25 and P90X, but this Mexican loves to eat tacos and, you know, it's just, the struggle's real. <laughs> I, I remember, I remember one time I had this dream to play in the NBA. I wanted, I wanted to be the first Mexican to make it in the NBA. I feel like we had a, a, a lot of chocolate represented, come on, come on all my chocolate, well, one of my chocolate people, uh, uh, you know, all the cho- I have, we, we had a lot, we have a lot of chocolate in the NBA. We have some whipped cream. We got some whipped cream in the NBA, all the white people. Come on. We got some whipped cream. But we really don't have no caramel, brown people, Mexicans, Latinos in the NBA. Come on, where are my brown people at? You know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I was like, I'm going to be the first Mexican to make it. And so I had this dream. So I go practice all the time. I was just a teenager running with a dream. And, and, and we grew up poor. I mean, poor, 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 poor. We had to save up to be poor. That's how poor we were. All right? And I remember... One day, my dad somehow, I don't know how he got it. He could have bought it or stole it, all right? And, and we got a basketball goal, and we put it up in our front yard, and, and if you knew my family. Look, all the people that you, you know, I grew up on the border, so all the people that are kidnapping people and drug cartels and killing and all that kind of stuff, those are, that's, those are all my cousins. <laughs> like I said, I'll see them in a couple of weeks, I promise you. And, and they change their phone number like every week because the cops are hunting them down. Anyways, uh, I literally, I'm not going to lie, it's confession time. Uh, I literally watched America's Most Wanted just to see if one of my family members turned up on it so I could pay for college. <laughs> goals, baby, goals, 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 goals. I remember he bought this basketball goal, and I would go out there, and I would practice all the time, and I was committed, and, and, and I would shoot all the time. And, and, uh, and my brother, well, I have four older brothers. How many have older brothers? Yeah, these things are dangerous. And so I, I have four older brothers, and one of them comes out, and uh, man, this is how ghetto he is. He comes out, and he's eating cereal out of a coffee mug. Who eats cereal out of a coffee? He's like, all hey, right, it tastes better, dog. It tastes better. It, ta- it don't taste no different unless you don't wash it nasty. So he's sitting there. He's eating, and I'm shooting, and, and uh, I'm shooting. And he goes, "Oh, Chris, why, why do you practice all the time? And I knew what he was there to do. He was there to annoy me. Now, why, why do you practice all the time? And I said, because I might buy you a house one day, fool. Like I wasn't going to let him get to me. And he's like, <laughs> that's what my brother looked like to me, okay. And, and, it, and he said, no, no, for real, why, why do you try so hard? And I said, because I might buy you a car too if you don't shut up. Like, I wasn't going to let him phase me. You know what I'm saying? And, and I remember what he would say next, though, would cripple me. In fact, what did we say next? What he would say next paralyzed me so much that I thought I had a pretty good shot. I went from that to not even be, be, being able to make a layup, which is super easy. I remember what he said next. It, it crippled me to a point where I had no confidence. He said this. He said, come on, Chris. Get real. Do you really think you're good enough to make it in the NBA? It's about killing a boy's dream. I remember one time my son and I, I was walking right there on campus right at Christ for the Nations. I was walking him to his preschool. And he must have been about three, three, four at the time. And, and, um, and so I remember holding his hand. He's probably right here. Now he's like right here. And. And um, I'm holding his hand, and one day he just stops me, dead cold, just pulls on my arm. He says, Dad, and I'm like, what? And he looks at me, and he, he says, Dad, he looks at me with that angel face and brown eyes. He looks at me, and he says, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be just like you. I know, right? <laughs> I told him, I said, I want to be like me too, sir. I, I think that's a good idea. That's, I'm a great motor role model. He looked at me, pulled on my arm, but what he would say next, I wasn't ready for, okay? He said, Dad, looks at me with those chocolate brown eyes, he said, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be just like you, or a dinosaur. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, you probably got that from me too. (laughs) You know, what kind of father would I be if my son looked at me and said, Dad, when I grow up, I want to own my own business. Or, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be a, a teacher. Or, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be a pastor. What, what kind of father would I be if I looked at Elisha and I said, come on, Elisha, get real. Do you really think you're good enough to do that? You know what I think your generation is in danger of? Is you're buying too much into this thing called reality. God does not live in reality. He's not intimidated by stats Facts, history, listen, odds do not apply to God, so they should not apply to the sons and daughters of God. I am against, I am not a stat anymore. In fact, all of my family is drunkards, drug dealers, or they're dead. That's all my family. And I know what it's like to strive to be hard and strive to impress people. But when I gave my life over to the Lord, I remember something He told me. He gave me words of purpose. He gave me life. I'm not talking about just something that I could do. I'm talking about someone I could be. Are you with me? He gave me life abundantly. And I feel like tonight, some of us, we feel like the the, the biggest reason why I'm not able to do what God's telling me to do is I'm discouraged. I know you've been ministered to all weekend. But I'm trying to preach to you. As if I'm talking to you six months from now. I want you to remember this message two years from now. I want you to look back 20 years from now. And I remember that night when I was in that church at one cause. And I remember God was speaking to me. And he was telling me not to dream small dreams. He was telling me not to just give up. He was telling me to keep pushing forward. I'm trying to speak to that part of you tonight. And I feel like a lot of reasons why people quit on the Lord or they quit on, uh, on the plans of God or they quit being obedient because they went and tried something the Lord told them is simply one word, discouragement. Do you know what discouragement means? It means to take courage out of somebody's heart. But encouragement means to take courage and put it in somebody's heart. Are you with me? Listen, I've been sent all the way from DeSoto to tell you, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. I don't care what's going on in the White House. I don't care what's going on across the way. I don't care what's going on down the street. Listen, I'm sorry you had a bad life. I wish you had better parents. I wish you came from a better background. But that is not an excuse for your life to suck just the way you've had it. That is not a reason for you to just settle. Okay, I'm just going to live the life I was dealt. That's whiny, pacified, weak Christianity. I've had, listen, I've had kids come into my youth ministry and they would start to whine about, well, you don't know what it's like. No, no, no. You don't know what it was like for Jesus to be nailed to a cross. Well, it's embarrassing. Embarrassing. Are you you serious right now? Embarrassing? No, embarrassing is hanging naked on a cross. That's embarrassing. Friend, I'm telling you, I I don't believe that God sets you up so that you could fail. I believe he set you up so that you could have a hope so that when people doubted you and they counted you out and they didn't think you had it in you, that God erupted something on the inside of you and you were able to walk on your campus and release healing whenever you wanted to and prophesy to teachers and interrupt classrooms because all you were doing is giving words of knowledge and people are falling out over the spirit and crying because they're confessing secret sin. That is what I see for you. Get your hopes up. Look, even the Lord's amen in me right now. I'm telling you, I'm gonna be your favorite Mexican, I promise you that. It's time, listen, it's time. I don't want you to settle. I, I don't want you to dream small dreams. I don't want you doing what you've seen. I want you doing what's never been seen. It's time to start re- unchaining yourself from your, from your weak, pacified, casual moments. Listen, what God did in your life at Wife in the Summer, how many you went to Wife in the Summer? A lot of you. What God did in your life and Wife in the Summer, that was great, but that was for then. What's He doing now? And then what's he want to do next year? What do you need to set yourself up for the next year or two? If I could get a, a, a young generation to start thinking about what their 20s will look like if they start giving their teenage years to the Lord, I promise you, you would get more excited about life than you are right now. I could not believe what God has asked Eric and I to do since we were in our 20s. And now we're, we're in, I'm, I'm turning 33, just like Jesus, on Tuesday. Of course, it ended for 30, on 33 for Jesus too, so... I rebuked that, gee, in your name. <laughs> I feel like when I look back on my 20s, I, I told Erica the other day, I said, I felt like I've lived a full life. I could die and say I a, I lived a full life. And I don't deserve the wife you've given me. And I don't deserve the children you've given me. And I don't deserve the job you've given me. I don't deserve any of the students I have. I don't, I, I don't deserve all the help. I don't deserve any of the opportunities. I don't deserve it. But you're that good. Listen, I've been sent all the way from DeSoto tonight. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. I, I like this relationship you see in, in Deuteronomy chapter 3. If we're going to release revivals, number one, get your hopes up. I, I like this relationship between Joshua and Moses. Because Moses is a, is cannot take them into the promised land, which God promised them uh, uh, hundreds of years before through Abraham. He can't take them in because he sinned, and now God says, hey, I can't have you lead them. But Joshua, raise up Joshua. So he begins to raise up Joshua. You know how he begins to train Joshua? Well, you'll find out in Deuteronomy 3. Look at this, verse 28. God says, come, commission Joshua, and encourage and strengthen him. Everybody say, encourage and strengthen. Encourage and strengthen. Encourage and strengthen. Say it again. And he says, encourage and strengthen him, for he will lead this people across, and he'll cause them a inherit land they will see. So Moses begins to do this. He does it in private. Listen, what God is doing in your life is always happening in the private places. That's where it begins. It doesn't happen up here. Pastor Nate's not going to notice. Pastor Heather... Pastor Eric, they're not going to come and just pat you on the back. It's got to happen on your own choice, on your own. Why? Because when you get into a tough spot, what you'll do is you'll run to them and not to the Lord because you conditioned yourself that way. You have to understand what God's doing is in private places. So Moses starts to do this. Well, you find what happens. Moses gathers the entire nation of Israel together because now Joshua's ready. He puts him in front of the nation of Israel. And this is what he says in Deuteronomy 31, 28. He says, be strong. And courageous. He's saying this to Joshua. Everybody say, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, your enemies. For the Lord God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous. And don't be terrified of your enemies. Don't be terrified of your insecurities. Don't be terrified of what you don't have and what you've never done. Because the Lord God is with you. And he will never leave you. Or forsake you. I remember learning the power of courage. Because this is exactly how God decides to train Joshua. You know how he trained Joshua? You know how he raised up a leader? Was he overdosed him on courage. He just constantly fed him massive amounts of courage. To where that that just began to overflow. And it spilled over into the entire nation. And the entire nation was looking to Joshua. Hey, we're following you. Don't be surprised when God starts giving you that level of influence. Because all you do is you just drip with courage. People just want to be around you because they feel an encouragement come. And it's not you. It's just the Jesus on the inside of you. I remember I learned the power of courage. My mom called me one day. She called me on the phone. She, I answered the phone, and I said, hello, and she said, mico. And I have something to tell you. Now, this is how, listen, this is how Mexican moms answer the phone. Like, they don't say, hi, how are you doing? If you answer the phone, hello, mico, Mika. Right, am I right? Right? I, I remember my friends, when their moms would call, I looked at my chocolate friends, and, and when they answered the phone, hello, what you doing right now? What you doing right now? Like they were doing something illegal. I remember when all my whipped cream friends got a phone call from their mama. It was like, hello, hi, honey, how are you? Are you okay? Do you want something to eat? Like we all wish we had that mom, you know, you know what I mean? But at least Hispanics, it was like, Miko, mijo. I have something to tell you. I said, okay, go ahead and tell me. She says, I'm going to run in the San Diego Marathon. And I said, no, you're not. She said, yes, I am. I said, no, you're not. She said, yes, I am. I said, you're going to die. <laughs> now I, I'm a good son. I, like I said, I'm turning 33, and I'm not going to say my mother's age. She's 20 years older than me, but I'm not going to say her age. And, uh, and I remember my, uh, my mom, she said, no, I've been training. I've been eating right. I'm ready to go. I said, mom, you cannot do that. You're going to die. Who, who's going to watch the kids on date night? You're being very selfish with this decision. I feel like you haven't included all the people that are going to be affected right now. Stubborn woman. And uh, she said, well, if you don't like that, you're not going to like what I tell you next. And I said, what's that? She said, well, your aunt, your tia, is going to run it with me. I said, you're both going to die. Sure enough, it just happened that on the same day, uh, the same weekend of the race, I happened to be in San Diego, too. I'm speaking at something, and she's dropping me off at the airport. And, man, I am praying for my mom. I, I am praying every prayer I know to pray at this point in my life. The, the prayer of Moses, prayer of Jabez. I even went back to my Catholic roots. And just, you know, the little, whatever. I did everything I could. You, you're going to be praying for. And I, 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 I remember getting on a plane thinking I'm going to plan a funeral. And, and uh, I get back, and and, and sure enough, uh, the next day, later on that night, I get a phone call. It's my mom. I say, hello. She said, "Miko." something to tell you. I said, I'm glad you're alive. She says, listen. She said, I, I don't know. How many long-distance runners do I have in here? I'm talking about long, long. I'm not talking about between the couch and the fridge, okay? I'm talking about long-distance. Are you lazy people? All right. Long-distance runners. So you know there's this terminology when you run long distance that it's called hitting the wall. And hitting the wall is when you've run for a long period of time and depending on your depending on your training it hits people at different areas but when you run a marathon it could hit you miles seven eight nine some of them it doesn't hit them till 910 almost till they're halfway done and so I my mom said you know I, I started training and and, uh, and I start hitting the wall. You know, hitting the wall feels like it. It's like when you're running, all of a sudden your legs start to feel heavy, like you got cinder blocks attached to them, like concretes, now your foot. You know what I mean? You're, you're running. And then you start to breathe real heavy, like, <coughs> You're like Quasimodo. You have asthma, and you didn't even know it. And so it just, <coughs> like you're having a seizure while you're running. It looks really funny, too, because you're, <coughs> You look like you're on The Walking Dead. Is what you look like. <laughs> and so, uh, that's what hitting the wall looks like. And so, my mom starts running because of her training. She she was prepared for this, but she just didn't know. Kind of she kind of knew when, but she didn't know when it was going to hit because her adrenaline's pumping. So she starts running. You know, mile one, no problem. Two, three, no problem. Four, five, six. She starts to hit the wall. Legs start to get heavy. Six and a half. She starts to breathe real heavy. <gasps> she starts to do all that About when she rolls up on mile 7 she notices something she hadn't known uh, hadn't seen at other mile markers there was this group this massive group of people and as she was coming into mile 7 this mile marker all of a sudden she had the number 426 all of a sudden somebody yells 426 pick it up and then somebody else 426 lock it in 426 did you come this far to quit hurry up she's thinking they're going to kill me if i don't finish i need to hurry up and get this race She said every time she would hit the wall, there would always be another group of people that would say, did you put in all the blood, sweat, and tears to come this far? You getting tired? Push, dig. They would always, and she said whenever they would do this, it was like adrenaline would shoot through her body, and she was able to make it to the next uh, uh, mile marker. It was like, listen, it was like shots of encouragement coming on the inside of her. Let, Let me put this to you. God has organized your life, and he knows there are certain seasons that you are going to hit the wall. But he's put a good church there. He put We Thrive Conference there. He put a good youth pastor there. He put good friends there. And he put them all in your life. And they're all saying, don't quit. You didn't come this far to quit. Why would you stop now? You got more to go. I'm here to tell you, get your hopes up. Stop living with a fear of failure. Listen, failure is not fatal. I have never seen anybody die from failing. Unless you went parachuting. I can't help you there. But everywhere else, failure is fatal. You, you, listen, you have to understand, God is not going to set you up to fail. He's going to set you up to grow. Get your hopes up. Let me give you the second thing. If we're going to release revivalists, number two. Revivalists are risk takers. Revivalists are risk takers. This is, this is what everybody hates about revivalists, is they're always in over their head. They're always dreaming new dreams. What, what would it be like? It would be awesome if, they always sharing their dreams, always thinking above yeah. the budgets, always thinking above the resources, always thinking of, of you know what we should do? We should go rent out Texas Stadium. Do we Thrive, uh, we Thrive Conference at Dallas Cowboys Stadium next year? I mean, they're always dreaming that big. And people find that obnoxious. The truth is, that's exactly how your generation's built. You think outside the box automatically. You're creative without even having to try. Revivalists are risk-takers. I, I remember... When I had a, one of the girls in my youth ministry, she called me one morning. She had just gotten saved. Her name was Jasmine. She was maybe walking with the Lord two, three months. She calls me. It's a Monday morning. And uh, I'm, I'm, up, I'm up, I, I like to wake up early. So I'm up early and I'm at my couch and I'm praying and reading. And I see my phone go off. So I answer it. I see it's Jasmine. I said, hello. And she says, Pastor Chris, I need to talk to you right now. I said, well, good morning to you too, Jasmine. She said, no, no, stop playing. I need to talk to you right now. I said, well, go ahead and talk. She says, no, 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 I need to see you face-to-face. I need to talk to you right now. And I said, okay. Well, I went and asked my wife. I said, you okay if I pick up Jasmine and take her through Starbucks and drop her off at school? She said, sure. So we're in the, we're in the drive-thru at Starbucks, and I turned to her, and I said, Jasmine, why do you got me out here picking you up? She said, Pastor Chris, you need to listen. Now, ladies, I have learned something about your species. That when this finger goes up right here, it gives your neck this allowance to get, like, 30 feet longer and you like circumference the sun, like the earth, and you just said, uh, Pastor Chris, you need to, you do this right. It's like your chin is a boomerang and you just flip that thing out there and let me just tell you this right here. You know, that's, that's exactly it. So she did the whole thing. She went, Pastor Chris, let me, you better listen. Like, I thought her ear, her head touched both sides of my car. That's what it felt like. She said, Pastor Chris, you need to listen. I said, go ahead. She said, I got an assignment on Friday. She said, in my speech class, I'm supposed to give a two-minute speech on something significant that happened in my life. And I said, okay. And she said, well, I was praying on Saturday, and Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, I want you to share your testimony in your speech class because that's something significant that happened in your life. Now, listen, let me explain your youth pastors or your youth leaders for just a second. We're a unique breed. Uh, We get excited off the dumbest things. Uh, (laughs) uh, So when she told me she's going to take a stand for Jesus in her public high school, I, 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 I flipped out. I said, I said, you better do that. You have to do it. You would not be a sissy and not do that. You better do that. You know, that kind of stuff. And she was like this. She, Well, yeah, I, I'm going to do it. she he said, but the reason why I have can you can you give me some pointers on how to share my testimony? I said, Jasmine, you better focus right here. This is serious. And I'm all intense. she was, this cute little chocolate girl almost grabbed her by her braids. She said, you better listen right now. He's like, okay, Pastor Chris, okay, I'll, I'll do it, Pastor Chris. I said, listen, you, I said, you, you tell everybody what Jesus has done for you. You make him famous. I said, listen, you, 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 it really bothers me when people share their testimony, in other words, what the Lord's done in their life, and all they talk about is the crud and the crap and the trash they went through, and then Jesus gets like 10 seconds of fame and glory. Like I used to get high and dry, and that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 and Jesus saved me. That bothers me. Listen, the world doesn't want to know what you were like when you were in the world. They want to know what you've been like since you left the world. That's what they want to know. So I said, Jasmine, you make them famous. So we show up to the school about a few minutes early, and we turn on some Jesus culture. We just start praying. Like, we're praying over the school. We're stretching our hands out. In the name of Jesus, we're screaming at the devil. We're like, you'll be mine. You belong to God. You know, that kind of stuff. And, kids, like, students are walking in front of my car. I had this hoopty, like, the, the, the trunk. Rattled. It was louder than the engine. You know what I'm saying? Because my speakers were dumb. And so we pray and, and kids, students are walking in front of my car. And we're like pointing out, you belong to God. You're going to be Jesus. We're pointing at and They're looking at us like, you know, <laughs> just praying. She says, I need to go inside. I need to go in. I said, you go in. Okay? I said, you call me after school and tell me what happened." She said, I will. So she goes in and her speech class is her second period class. So she goes in and sits in her first period of class, and she's fired up, man. She's ready to go, and uh, she's praying. She's just sitting in her seat, you know, in her little chair, little desk, and she's, she's sitting there and just ready. She's, she don't even know what she learned that out. And finally, the bell rings. Now, how many know this moment? The moment right before you're about to do what God told you to do, right? You were all confident, and then you stepped into that moment, and, and, and your butterflies start kicking in, Right? You start getting all this nervous fellowship up here in your innards. You start to feel all, all crazy-like, right? You, you start to pray. You check in with heaven. You're like, God, are you ready? You sure? You got? You good? You good? You good? Are you sure? Are you sure? Because I don't want to force you in anything. Are you sure? Okay, I'm just checking on you. I'm checking on you. That's all I'm doing. You ever done that? Right? Some of you are like, get out of my head. Right? So she starts doing this and having this doubt and this fear, this fear of failure comes on her. And so by the time she left this class to get her to speech class, she convinced her, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it at all. So she gets in and she sits in her chair and, and uh, she's on lockdown. I mean, she's just like, just like this. And so the teacher comes in. She's like, okay, I asked you to do the speech. You know, uh, uh, anytime there's a presentation, what does teacher ask? Are there any volunteers? I'm glad you go to school. Uh, so uh, she says, are there any volunteers? And so one kid in the back says, I'll go. So he goes, does a great job, sits down. Well, she says, are there any more volunteers? Well, nobody volunteers. She goes, okay, that's fine. Um, Jasmine, why don't you come up here? And she's like, what? She's like, and she's walking up. She's like, that ain't right, God. I mean, I see you, but that ain't right. So she gets up behind the little podium they have in their speech class, you know, and she says, listen, today I want to share about the the time I gave my life to Jesus. And, like, all the air was sucked out of this room, like, You know, even the teacher was like, <laughs> <laughs> "You know, they think it's a lawsuit or someone's gonna get offended, something stupid like that." And she says, "I, I want to tell you about the time I met Jesus." She says, "You know, uh, some of you know me from a few months ago. You know, I used to get in a lot of trouble, and and uh, I used to I used to get high and party a lot." And she even pointed a kid in class. She said, "Remember, we used to get high all the time." And <laughs> this kid's like, "Ah, oh, oh I, I don't remember. I was high." <laughs> you know, and. Uh, and she says, you know, I used to fight. And she said, uh, but one of my coworkers invited me to church, so I went. And uh, I liked it, so I went back the next week. And I felt like something happened in my heart because I love the people. And I, I went back the third week, and I felt like God was speaking right to me. She came back the fourth week, and I remember, she came back the fourth week, and it, in fact, this room looks almost like our church did uh, when, when we were youth pastors. She walked in through double doors just like that. And I remember she took one foot... In our sanctuary, like this, she just took one foot and went boom down on her face. Pow, just fell out under the power of God, and she started screaming. Y'all, chocolate people can scream. All right, they scream better than whipped cream and caramel all day long. They got us beaten this, but they can scream. I mean, she started screaming like, "Oh Jesus, oh, God! oh my God! She started screaming like that. The whole service now this was a little church all right so we did, we have no room that we can put her in or a closet we can shove her into, she shuts up we couldn't do any of that we just had this one room so she's on the floor she's screaming just like that we had to lead worship over that we had to preach over that we do announcements in a game over that you try doing that and being anointed all right that's hard and I remember I remember people trying to leave church and they're having to step over Jasmine to get outside of the church and, and she's screaming, but I knew when she went down, she went down somebody, but she got up somebody different. And she was totally changed, and she starts sharing this. Now, anytime we have told our students, anytime you share your testimony, you, always do, you don't just share it, you look for a way to demonstrate God's goodness. So in other words, you don't just tell them what Jesus did for you, you give them an opportunity, you give Jesus the opportunity to do it for somebody else. So she looks at this, at this cheerleader in the front row. She's got her knee in a brace because she heard it. And she says, hey, listen, I feel like uh, God wants to heal your knee. I know you hurt it, and I feel like if you'll take that brace off, he's healing it right now. So she's like, okay. So she takes off her knee brace, and she starts walking around, right? She's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, my God! Oh, my- Becky, Samantha, oh, my gosh, look at this. And she starts freaking out. I mean, people in the class are like, what? People are like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And people are freaking out. Then she turns to a guy in the back who's got his arm in a sling, who's a football player. She said, listen, I believe God's healing your arm. If you'll take your arm out of that sling, I believe God will heal it. So he's like, okay. So he takes his arm out of the sling, and he's like, bruh, 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 this right here. This, bruh, bruh, look at this, look at this right here. People are starting to cry. People are getting touched. People are freaking out like, what in, is this school or church? Like, what's going on? Then Jasmine turns to the teacher yeah, yeah, go big or go home, right? (laughs) She turns to the teacher, and she says, Miss so-and-so, you've doubted God's real since you were a little girl, but these two miracles are signs to you that he is, and he wants you to have the fullness of his glory, and she told, she throws her arm like this, and boom, the power of God hits the teacher, she falls out of the chair on the floor, and has a two-minute visitation from Jesus right there in the classroom. (laughs) I, you know, it's funny, I asked her, I said, you threw your arm? She's like, yeah, I threw my arm like this, and I, Why'd you do that? Well, I seen you and Miss Erica do that. And I thought, <laughs> I loved it. I was like, well, just, you keep doing, you do you, you do you. you know? This teacher, she goes out, Jasmine just starts ministering. Well, she gets up, she was Muslim, by the way. And, uh, and she gets up and runs out uh, of the classroom. So Jasmine's like, well, I'm getting arrested, so I might as well make this look good. So she, I mean, she starts prophesying and giving words of knowledge. kid's like, hey, you're addicted to prescription meds. And you get them from your grandmother, but God's delivering you from that. I lift your hands. And these kids are in the. Oh my God, she's right. Oh my God, you know, sitting there, he, boom, the power of God hits this guy. She turns to this one girl. I, I'll never forget it because I got the phone call from her parents. Um, she said, "Hey, you're pregnant. And you haven't told anybody, and that's the baby's daddy. And I believe that you're thinking about getting rid of that baby, but God has a purpose for that baby. And my church is going to help you. And I'm thinking we are. Yeah, we are. We are. We're going to help. You know, she's just offering ministry. It's awesome." And then the teacher, what she went and did, she went into the teacher's lounge. You know, there's teachers in there, and they're drinking coffee and eating donuts. And, you know, she's sitting there, she's like, come on, come come here, 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 put it down, you're fat, come here, come here, you don't need it, come here, right now, come here. And she's freaking out. She walks in, she lines up about four teachers against the wall. And she tells Jasmine, hey, do do it again. Do it again. Do it again. So Jasmine goes over and starts praying, and she starts to have words of knowledge and prophesying. And she's telling them things that only their spouses know about. And then they fall out, boom, like this. Now, I hear, I hear some thoughts in this room. How, how do I know that's real? Well, that was at Grapevine, Colleyville. And I got a call from the assistant principal. In fact, that was one of what would be hundreds of calls from that principal. And that's Chris, it happened again. <laughs> we had revival, revival. Um, we had, he called me. He said, this is the first time he said, uh, Pastor Estrada? I said, yes. He said, um... This is Principal So-and-so from Grapevine Um, uh, We've had some s- peculiar events today. Could you tell us what a glory bomb is? <laughs> uh, you know, because the only way Jazz, Jasmine would describe it, they're like, what happened, Jasmine? She's like, a glory bomb went off. God was exploding all over the place. And all they heard was bomb, and they thought I was a, some terrorist mastermind. Now, why would that happen? Because revivalists are risk takers, and someone doesn't know their limits, and they don't live in the odds, and they don't care about the stats, and they don't care about the history, and they could care less what people might say about them, and how they might doubt them, and how they might just say, you'll always be that. You will always be that little boy. You will always be that little girl. Don't you dare live under that. that, Don't you live under somebody else's thumb, somebody else's failures, somebody else's past. Listen, your parents may not be happily married, but that doesn't have to be your marriage in 10 years. Your parents may be drug addicts now, but that doesn't have to be your life in 10 years. You may feel like a failure because that's all you've been told by people that love you. But I'm here to tell you, get your hopes up. You are a risk taker. You walk the very purposes of God out on your life. You are dangerous to the enemy. You are a strategy of heaven the enemy has no strategy against. You are dangerous for good. Don't sell yourself short. I, I, I truly believe this. I, I pray that, that Jasmine's story, I, I got hundreds of those stories. We could be here all night if I just told you stories about what happened in our youth ministry. But I pray it's not unique. I pray it's not just for us. I pray it's for here. I pray it's for Plano. I pray it's for Allen. I pray, I pray it's for Frisco. I pray it's for all over this, that it's for everyone in this room. It's not for perfect people. Listen, God doesn't need the perfect conditions to move. What he needs is somebody who says, yes, I'll surrender my life. Yes, you can do whatever you want with me, God. I don't care. I'll lose, if it's a popularity contest, I'll sell my popularity so I can have more of you. I'll sell my status so I can have more of you. I'll get rid of these relationships I'll put them, I'll I'll lay them down if it means that they're distracting me. Listen, let me just help you all out. Are those people taking you closer to him or further away from him? Because if you went in trying to bring them closer to Jesus and all they did was take you further away, that's not a healthy relationship. My Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 13, bad company corrupts good morals. Don't you, listen, don't try and be so spiritual that, I'm just trying to bring them to church and win them to Jesus. No, they're influencing you. Until you start influencing them, you need to put some walls there. Don't kill the relationship, but put some walls there. That was for somebody tonight. You're not God's backup plan. We need you now. I don't need, we, listen, as someone who prays for your generation, I've weeped thousands of tears. I have spent hours praying for you. I'm trying to train up incredible men and women to come and lead your generation. As someone who, sa- who does that, hear me when I say, you are not God's backup plan. You are his plan for tomorrow. We don't Listen, we don't need you when you feel like it. We need you now. We don't, listen, we don- really don't need you next. You're now. Do you realize that you will decide, those of you who are 16, 17, and you turn 18, do you realize that you will decide the next president of the United States? It's not a Hispanic vote, it's not a black vote, it's not a white vote. Listen, it is literally young people to decide who are presidents now. You alter history, you choose your history. You're that important. You are crucial to the plans of God. You're a risk taker. See, if we're going to release revivalists, number one, get your hopes up. Number two, revivalists are risk takers. And number three, let me say this, number three, you have to understand this, it's time to redraw the battle lines. It's time to redraw the battle lines. I, I, let, me, let me close out the story we began with. You don't have to go there. I'll just For the sake of time, I want to close out because I want to keep you too late. In Judges 20, you have this massive army that goes out against this smaller army. And this smaller army pulls up the ultimate defeat and upset, and they kill 22,000 men. They don't lose one man, but they kill 22,000. So this massive army, the men that are left, come back to their camp, and it says that You know, you would think that after losing such a bad loss, it would be embarrassing to the point of discouragement where you just don't want to go try again. But I I like what they do. In verse 22, it says this. It says, but the Israelites encouraged one another and again took up their positions where they had stationed themselves the first day. I I like what it says. They encouraged one another. You know what gets you through the hard moments? It's not more church. Hear me. Church is good, but it plays a part. But hear me, you know what gets you through your your harder days, your darker hours, the pain? You know what gets you to shut off the tears? It's when you start to encourage yourself with this book. When you start to choose to put on worship music instead of the party mix, and you start to get with God, and you start to let Him flood you with encouragement, I promise you, it'll change everything about your life. If I could tell you anything, they say, Pastor Chris, what, what really made the difference when you were younger? Because you started serving God as young. You know what made the difference? Is that I chose God in front of everything. Laid down basketball scholarships. Laid down relationships. Laid down popularity. I had people talk bad about me like I was some, oh, you're part of a cult now. Because you're not the same anymore. No, I'm not the same. Because the one you remember never was the best me. There's only one who brought out the best to me. His name was Jesus. I'm telling you. If you, would, if you would give your years, your young years to Jesus, I promise you, you won't regret your 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. I promise you. If you don't want the life that you see happening in your family or in your friends' families, I promise you, you've got to do something about it now. My, fam- my parents got a divorce. I-, I didn't know what a dad was because my dad, he-, he was there, but he was just absent. He loved me he provided for me. He put clothes on my back and some food on the table and and, and he did some stuff for us. But emotionally and relationally, I just couldn't connect to him. And I didn't know if I was going to be a good dad or not. And then one day a woman, I was in Mexico City and she walks up and she says, you know what? God told me to tell you, you're going to be a good father because God's a good father to you. I don't know what background you came from. I don't know how hard it's been. I'm not here to relate to you. Because I'm not your story. I don't have your life. But I do have the answer, and his name is Jesus. And if you will redraw the battle lines and start to encourage yourself, you'll start to encourage yourself with the word. Get around people who know how to speak some life into you. Put yourself in front of the right people, not the wrong people. Some, listen, sometimes your bestie is not the best place to go to. Sometimes your Bible is the best place to go to. All the time. It's just—it's just gooder. This thing just gets gooder and gooder and gooder. It's time to redraw the battle lines. I, I think your generation—you're so prepared. You—you you, you want change. But the truth is, you don't want to pay any costs to get it. You want somebody else to go and do the work for you. You know how you'll stand out. I, I'll teach you how to be successful. You want to know how to be rich. You want to know how to be promoted. You want to know how to be influential? You want to know how to do all that? Just be willing to do the things that the rest of your generation is not. you will look completely different than all of them. Just be willing to put in the hard work and the labor to stay up the extra hour to pray or wake up an hour earlier to pray and seek God. I promise you, you'll stand out from the rest of the crowd. Just redraw the battle lines. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.